Alright, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17-25, through 25. and for those that are listening online, thank you for your patience. It's been a long journey for those of us who've been meeting here uh, until we got back together again. Uh, let me read this section to us, and then I'm going to kind of pick up where we left off last time. Uh, Peter says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Though you believe in him, I'm sorry, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, as we get into this section, it's going to help us to remember where we left off last time. If you look at verse uh, 16, we have just been told, it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And we dealt with that in our last time we were together a while back. And But today, I want to take a little second to talk about one aspect of that command, Be holy as I'm holy, that we didn't have time to get into. Um, there's a, to be holy is to be set apart or separate as well. And what I want you to kind of take a little look at with me, and you'll see how it will launch us into where we're going tonight, is the aspect of the fact that we as children of God, as Christians, those of us who have been born again of this imperishable seed that we're going to look at tonight, we're to be different. And we've got to accept that fact that we're to be different. We are different. We need to just, the happier you'll be happier in this world, the sooner you accept that the world won't accept you. Alright, go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and let me see what I'm talking about. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 9 through 12. And we're going to break this down later when we get to it in our study. But it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. When God says, be separate because I'm separate, be holy because I'm holy, He's also, along with the other things we already looked at in our study, He's also saying to us, you are different. It's okay. I'm different. And you're going to see in a little bit as we break this down, and I'm going to rewrite all of what we're looking at into a set of sentences that you might want to write down that will help you get a focus on what He's saying. But when we get to that, you're going to see that, uh, was Jesus accepted in this world? Not at all. Yet too many Christians today are trying to be accepted, blend in. I just want them to like me. No, you know what? I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being abrasive. I'm not talking about being confrontational. I'm just simply saying to you, you're different now. The world doesn't understand. Nor should they or will they. 
It's okay. Accept it. And it will make it easier for you then to walk in obedience to what it is God wants you to do. It's hard to obey God and try to please man. It's impossible. So, you're holy. You're separate. You're different. Alright? But for tonight's passage, we need to look at how God desires us to know of our holiness and how He desires us to live this separateness out in this unholy world. He says to us in this manner, we need to live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, I want to take some time tonight to really break down this reverent fear thing. I've touched on it, I've taught on it here and there in different places, but I want to take some time to really slowly with Scripture, break this reverent fear thing down. Because even long-time Christians still struggle with this whole concept of reverent fear. Understanding the balance of understanding that you're the child of God and you're not to fear, yet the Bible says we're to have fear and reverence and awe and respect and so on. So what I want us to do right now is I want us to take a look at some Scriptures and I want you to kind of put them into whatever category you think they should be in. Scary Scriptures or comforting Scriptures, okay? So we're going to do the first one in Hebrews chapter 12. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 28 and 29. And, and, and I'm going to ask you after we read it, tell me whether or not you think it's a scary scripture or a comforting scripture, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Alright, we have one comforting. Scary. I hear scary. <laughs> Actually, I'm not surprised that the room would be split on this one. Some of you might even say parts are comforting, parts scary. Correct? Alright, keep that in your mind. Parts of this comforting, part of it's scary. That will that's good. Alright? Let's go to another one. Go to Philippians chapter two. Verse twelve. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Comforting or scary? A little scary. Comforting. says, I love it. There's parts that appear comforting and parts that appear scary. Alright, we're going to deal with all this, but I want to, the, the more honest we are about this, the easier it will be for us to move where we need to go. So, don't, be, don't look for the Sunday school answer here. Tell me how you're, if you think it's scary, it's scary. If you think it's comforting, it's comforting. Proverbs 9.10. Go to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Comfort. You got comfort on that one? Comfort? Nobody, nobody sees that one as scary? Okay. Go on to Luke chapter 12. Except you can't live up to it. That sounds a little scary to you then. Proverbs, I mean, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Luke 12, verses 4 through 7. Now, Jesus is speaking. If you've got a red letter Bible that puts Jesus' words in red, you're going to see this is Jesus speaking here. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I'll show you whom you should fear. 
Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. By the way, who's he telling us to fear? He's telling us to fear God. He's not telling us to fear Satan. I was preaching on this at one church recently. Yeah, well, actually it is, and you're going to see in a second. But keep reading. Remember I said verses 4 through 7. We just stopped at verse 5. Look at verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Isn't that interesting? In this context, Jesus says, let me tell you who you should be afraid of. Don't be afraid of man who can only do damage to your body. I'm going to tell you who you should be afraid of. You better be afraid of God because God has the power to throw your body and your soul into hell. That's how you should be afraid, who you should be afraid of. But let me just tell you, dear friends, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Sounds a little, I'm going to be honest with you, don't think I'm a heretic. Sounds psychotic, doesn't it? It, it, it sounds like this, okay, where's this guy coming from? He's like, be afraid, I'll tell you be afraid of, but I mean, don't, be, don't be afraid. And we're going to explain all this. This will all of a sudden make some sense here, so just kind of stick with me. There's a balance that the Bible teaches when it comes to a, what it means the fear of God. And so what I want you to do is I want you to start with me in Proverbs chapter 9. You don't have to go back there. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Remember what it said. It said the fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. When Jesus is talking about, I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. He's talking about Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. In order for you to enter into a relationship of no fear of a child, and, and, and there is a passage we're going to get to that talks about in that in just a second. You need to first of all understand who to fear. Remember the, remember the um, uh, Amazing Grace? There's a verse that says this. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. "'Twas grace... My fears relieved. Well, let's look at some of those fear relieved verses and then we'll put it all together. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, we're back at the end, uh, near the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 18. John says this He says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love or complete love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Did you see that? Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is necessary to begin with. You need to understand God's holiness. A knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. A knowledge of the Holy One and the awesomeness of God, a holy fear of God, is going to cause you to be afraid of the One who has the authority to put your body and soul in hell. But God says, once you understand that aspect of me, I want you to understand the other aspect of me. You had your hand up a couple times, Allison. Do you want to throw something out here? Yeah, in Proverbs 9.10, it's covenant word, which mm-hmm. means all that He And that's the big difference is, the difference in fear or no fear, as you're going to see, is whether or not you're in a right relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. See, that's going to become even more clear as we take a look at some more of these comforting passages. Go to Romans chapter 8. By the way, did anybody see 1 John 4.18 as scary? No. Very, very comforting. Go to Romans chapter 8, look at verses 15 and 16. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. 
It says, For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you see capital S, of sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Holy Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When you got saved and you entered into that saving relationship with Him, you didn't receive a spirit of fear or a slavery to fear again. Did you need to fear God to begin with? Yes, you sure did. To be able to understand He's holy, I'm not, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Those people don't have a fear of God. Those people who think, well, I'm not that bad. I've only done a few things. They don't have a holy fear of God, and they think they're okay. They're in trouble. They're the people Jesus is saying, hey, let me just tell you who you better be afraid of. You know? But go to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, there is now, therefore now, no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Let's kind of put this together, because we're going somewhere still. Don't think we got it solved, because there's still something that I want to take it to the next level that a lot of Christians kind of leave off. Alright, first thing is this. Let's take in these scriptures together. Proverbs 9, verse 10. In order to have the beginning of wisdom, you need to have a fear of God. You better be afraid of God. Plain and simple, God's God and you're not, and He's holy and you're not, He's sinless and pure and you're not, and you cannot have any relationship with Him unless that is taken care of. Oh, and by the way, you can't fix it. Yet, the Bible, Jesus Himself says, I'll tell you who you should be afraid of, don't be afraid of man, be afraid of God. But then He says something almost at the same time that is calming. He starts it off by saying, friends... And he ends it by saying, you're worth many, more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. You need to be afraid, but I would love to see that relationship change into a relationship where you don't have to be afraid anymore. And then when you trust Him as your Savior, when you understand the holy fear of God, and you understand your need, and you break, and you humble yourself... And you say, Lord, help me. Jesus, you're the only way I can be made right. And He gives you this new relationship. He puts His Spirit within you and says, I don't want you to be afraid anymore. I don't want you to be afraid anymore. Perfect love. I want you to fully, and we're going to get into that tonight, fully receive my love so that you're not afraid. Because see, fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made complete in love. You haven't understood the completeness of my love for you. And many Christians today still think that God's going to get them. A lot of Christians today think that their sickness or whatever happened or why God hasn't answered this prayer is because He's punishing you for something you've done. Many of us were raised by parents who kind of did it that way. You know, I'm going to punish you for what you've done. And we think God is still that way. And I say to you tonight, and you've heard me say it before, if God has to punish you for something you've done as sin after salvation, Jesus didn't pay the full price. The Bible says He paid in full the price for your sin. God will never, ever, ever punish you for your sins if you're His child. Now, we're going to get to though, He's still Father. And He will discipline. And we're going to see this passage in Peter explain that some more. But you haven't received a spirit of fear. Tonight, be able to understand what it means to have a holy fear and live our lives in reverent fear that He's talking to Christians now, having this awe 
and fear and reverence of God the right way, you have to first understand when the Bible talks to Christians about fearing God. And by the way, the Bible does talk to Christians about fearing God. You need to first of all understand it's not at all talking about punishment. Don't ever for a second think that God's going to punish you ever again. Remove that thought from your mind. Why then does He want us to fear Him? Or what kind of fear are we supposed to have? What kind of reverence are we supposed to have? If, as His children, we move into a relationship of no fear, yet the Bible tells Christians to have fear. Eat it. Yes, and that's where we're going. I want to just say one thing, though. Mm-hmm. That's the great definitely a part of the comfort that's there. But like I said, even though Christians have received the Spirit and not received the Spirit of fear, Satan has lied to many Christians. And they think God's mad at them. He can't be ever again. Yes, sir. Right. Right. Right, definitely. And if you have, that's why you talk about no condemnation. If you feel condemned, that's not from him. That's not God. That Bill, what Bill said, I want you to hear it. If you feel condemned, it's not God talking. Now, will God correct you? Yes. Will He point out areas that you need work? Yes. Let me give you an example from personal life. My son, AJ, is on a basketball team, homeschool basketball team, and I watched him play yesterday. And I am in the stands as his dad, rooting him on. I want so much for him to understand how much I love him. And whether he plays good or bad makes no difference with whether or not I love him. You all understand that because you're parents. The problem is, when you're a kid and your dad yells from the stands, Ugh, you didn't do that right. You don't hear, my dad loves me. You hear, he's disappointed in me. He, you don't hear. So I'm saying to you in front of all these people, when I correct, it has nothing to do with whether or not I love you. It has everything to do with me trying to shape you into the basketball player so that you can at least be half of what I ever was. All right? All right. understand what I'm talking about. As much as you on this side know as a parent, your correction has nothing to do with whether or not you love the child or view them. You just want to help them become what they want to be. How come you fall to the same lie when God is saying the same thing to you? When your heavenly father, when your heavenly father says to you, here's an area that needs work. Oh, he's upset with me. No. He's condemning me. No. You're His child. Let His perfect love remove that and hear. And maybe it'll take you forever to grasp it. I don't know, but let me just say the truth to you. When He corrects, it's always for your best. Isn't that what it says in Hebrews chapter 12? Go there real quick. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. The Hebrew writer says, And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. 
My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves. And I'm going to change the word, because NIV used the word punish, and I think it's a horrible translation. And He disciplines every son, he, everyone He accepts as a son. The punish is a bad translation. A lot of your translations don't say that, but, uh, but, if, you, but if it's an IV, it says punish. That's a horrible one. And if you actually go back and compare this to the original passage in Old Testament where it was quoting from, it doesn't even say punish there. King James says chastens. That's fine. It's a discipline. It's a molding. It's a shaping. It's not a punishing. Go ahead. In the latest then. 2010? Yep. Alright, now look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Did you catch that? Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate sons. If you're not being disciplined by God, you're not His. And you're not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Agreed. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, though, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Exactly. He was shaped and molded by his heavenly Father. So what I want you to hear now then is, all right, well, let me just read it to you in the way I put it in my notes and we'll move on to the next thing. It says this, A fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but once you move from death to life and from an enemy of God to becoming his child, the fear of punishment is removed. But listen closely. We must never lose sight of the fact that our heavenly Father is the Almighty God. And this is the danger. You see, there's this one side over here that says, Oh, you better watch out. God, lightning is going to strike you. Have you heard people say that in church? Oh, you said that? The, light, the roof's going to come down. Folks, get away from that. That's a lie from the enemy about who your father is. He's not that kind of a dad. But then there's the other side that now wants to just focus on the love of God so much that he's their buddy. He's the, the big guy upstairs. And, he, you know, folks, you can't move into that relationship. You still must have a reverence for the fact that, well, how did you didn't catch it probably? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. How did Peter start this sentence? We jumped right to live your lives here as strangers in reverent fear. Look closely how he starts this verse. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Did you catch that? Since you call the Heavenly Father, since you call Almighty God Father, and oh, by the way, when He judges, He doesn't grade on the curve. He judges each one according to what they've done. And by the way, um, I know when I was one of five kids, there are times we could pull stuff over on my folks. You've done the same thing. There were some of your brothers and sisters who would do... Bad stuff, but their parents never caught them. And you seem to always get caught. You been there? I had a brother like that. He used to come down the hall and say, I'm going to get you in trouble. And we'd beg him not to because we knew he could. Because my parents didn't believe he was going to do it. And we'd say, it's him, it's him. John. And, uh, and so, but, 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 but what I'm saying is this. Your heavenly father ain't going to be duped. Your heavenly father's not going to be duped. He knows. 
Since you call on a father who judges everyone impartially, you better live your life here as his child with an understanding. He ain't going to punish you. But he wants you to respect the fact that he's father. Alright? We'll, we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What's he saying? You were what? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, you don't have to turn there, verses 19 and 20. You were bought with a price. You see, we call Him not only Father, we call Him Lord. And by the way, the word Lord means kurios. And let me translate that for you. The word kurios in the Greek means owner of a possession. Yes, He considers you His child. Yes, He's given you a spirit of no fear. Yes, He considers you His brothers. Yes, you're co-heirs with Christ. But He's still God. And you never will be. He has elevated you. He's going to exalt you. You're going to reign with Him. You're going to be glorified with Him. But He always will be above and over you. Don't lose sight of that fact, Christians. Oh, please stop being afraid of Him that He's going to get you. No, He ain't going to get you. He loves you more than you'll ever understand, I think, in this life. But don't move into that realm of thinking that He's no longer God. I want my kids to know that I love them. We love to laugh and joke. And honestly, 98% of the time in my house, we have fun. Tonight we sat at the, at the dinner table coming up with a game of, if you were to design a Disney ride or attraction that wouldn't work, what would it be? Because we always try to come up with crazy stuff. And I'm not going to tell you some of the solutions we came up with because some are gross, but they were funny. But, we, but you know what? Once in a while, when Dad has to put on his dad hat, the kids know. It's time to be serious. Because my dad is always pouring his love out. But when dad puts the serious face on, he means it. So we don't, I don't spend a lot of time yelling or screaming. Because they know I love them. And if I'm serious, they understand you're still dad. Your all-knowing God is your father. The God who is Lord, owner of a possession, is your father. And the one you call father is your father and gets to exercise all the authority and receive all the honor due a father. Now yes, in this world in which we live, maybe the role of the father has been blurred. And a lot of people have had bad examples of, a, of an earthly father, and that would make them have a hard time understanding the heavenly father. And yes, I understand that. The Bible understands that. But at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that God is father. So what's he saying to us in this world? Well, here's the sentences I want you to write down if you can do this. Make yourself a little scratch. If you want me to slow down, I will. In other words, Peter is saying, don't lose the proper perspective that you should have in this life as God's children. This is what he's saying here in this section. Here's the first thing. You no longer belong to this world or its way of living. Stop wanting to blend in. Stop wanting to follow the fashion trends. Stop wanting to be able up to speed and talk about all the TV shows that everybody else is talking about. Stop wanting to be up on the latest music or the latest thing that the world thinks is cool. Stop trying to... No, please don't hear me wrong. 
dressing nice and watching TV aren't sins. But if your desire is to be in with the world, it's going to cause you problems because it's going to try to pull you away from your Heavenly Father. We live as strangers in this world. So don't you no longer belong to this world or this way of living. Number two, you're about as wanted here as Jesus was. I'm just going to tell you straight up. You need to understand this. You're about as wanted here as Jesus was. You are very needed, but most often not wanted. Like Tebow. You're very needed, but maybe not often wanted. Alright? That was number two. You're about as wanted here as Jesus was. And then the second part of that was you're very needed, but most often not wanted. Number three. Your focus then should be on listening to and obeying your Father who is in heaven. That should be where your focus is. Your focus should be on listening to and obeying your Father who is in heaven. Number four. Sorry, let me say it one more time. Number three, your focus should then be on listening to and obeying your Father who is in heaven. And by the way, if I'm too fast, you can always go to the website. Do not fear, number four, do not fear punishment or condemnation, but respect the position He now has over you. Do not fear punishment or condemnation, but respect the position that He now has over you. And number five, He bought the rights to make you His with His own blood. You weren't bought with something that's going to perish. Alright, I'm going to read those to you one more time. You no longer belong to this world or its way of living. You're about as wanted here as Jesus was. You're very needed, but most often not wanted. Your focus then should be on listening to and obeying your Father who is in heaven. Do not fear punishment or condemnation, but respect the position He now has over you. And He bought the rights to make you His with His own blood. Now, what does our Heavenly Father ask of us then that He wants us to obey? And the answer is right here in the rest of this passage. Verses 22-25. Listen to what he says in verses 22-25. Through Him, Jesus, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this, excuse me, is the word that was preached to you. What is God wanting of us? What's He wanting us to do? How is He wanting us to obey Him? To love each other. He said because of God's love for us and His redeeming and purifying us, because of this love... Pass this love on to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you've got to stick with me here, because this isn't your basic, well, just love each other. Where was that? Chapter. That was chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 in, in the passage we're studying here. First Peter. Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 in the section we're looking at. That, that's the rest of the passage there. In other words, he says this love for each other can only come from the love that God has already poured out into our hearts. I want you to see this closely. Look at verse 22 again. Now that you have 
purified yourselves by obeying the truth. In other words, now that you've been saved, now that you've accepted, received God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and through faith in Christ, look what he says. You have sincere love for your brothers. What do you mean I have love for my brothers? Where did I get this love for my brothers? From Jesus. The Jesus that lives within you loves them just as much as He loves you. You got it in you already. You don't got to work it up. You have it. Here's the problem. And this is where we're going to go as we kind of tie things up tonight. Most of us have never learned to drink it. I'm going to say it again and I'm going to break this down. Most of us have never learned to drink it. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in John chapter 7, Jesus, don't have to turn there, John chapter 7, verse 37 and following, Jesus stood at the great feast and He said this. He put His arms out and He said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Out of Him will flow rivers of living water. And then it goes on and says, This He meant the Holy Spirit, which those who later receive Him were going to receive. We have heard Jesus' call, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, as a call to salvation, meaning justification. Right? Anybody need to be saved? Come to me and drink and I'll save you. The problem is, God sees salvation as the whole deal. Remember earlier in our study in Peter? He called justification salvation. Today salvation has come to this house, Luke 19.9. He called sanctification salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He calls glorification salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, as we wait the coming of our salvation. Wait a minute, why am I waiting for the coming of my salvation if I've already got salvation? Because the Bible sees justification, sanctification, and glorification as all the same thing. It's all a part of your salvation. The problem is... We Christians have stopped drinking of Jesus at justification. We think we're done drinking. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's no accident that God had Paul use alcohol as an illustration and a comparison. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or causes lots of problems. But be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, let me break this down for you, the Greek is very specific. And I love the fact that the Greek is so specific. I was telling the men today when I preached on this a little bit at Men in Motion, uh, they say that the hardest language to learn, if you try to learn a language, is English. You know why? We break all our rules. Vance Habner loved to say this one. Whether the weather be hot, cold, or whether the weather be hot, well, whether the weather, no matter the weather, whether we like it or not. In that you hear, what's he saying? We keep changing all our words and their meanings. Sounds the same, but means something different. But the Greek is not that way. The Greek is very, very, very specific. And when the Greek says something, you know exactly what they mean. And in the Greek, when God says, be filled with the Spirit, listen to how it's worded. First of all, it's in the imperative tense, which means it's a command. It's not, you ought to think about this, or maybe you might want to. It is, you must be filled. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, it is in the plural. It is, you all be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, it is in the present tense. Which means it's always now. It's not you should have been filled or you will be filled. It is be being filled. It's always now. You all 
be being filled. But it's also in the passive tense. Which, by the way, if you think I know this stuff because I'm a Greek scholar, let me tell you something. God's blessed me with an incredible memory. i got people that do that research. I don't know how to do it. When I was in seminary and I was having to learn Greek, every night we had to translate so many verses of Scripture from Greek to English. I was clueless. I was lost. So what I would do is I would memorize the Bible. And then if I recognized a Greek word or two in that passage, I'd say, oh, I know what this is. And I would just write the whole thing in English. But in the passive tense, it's not something you're doing as much as it's being done to you and you're receiving it. You are being acted upon. So his command is this. And remember, it's tied to alcohol. Be being filled, you all. Let God do it. Now, here's the deal. The only way that that can happen continually is if you what? Not just submit. Drink it. You see, if an alcoholic or someone that has a drinking problem takes a bottle of alcohol, wine or whatever, and sits there and reads the label for hours on end, will he ever get drunk? No. No. Reading it ain't going to do anything until you put it in. In the same way, if I were to tell some, if, if you were to meet somebody and they say, well, I believe Jesus died for the sins of the world. Well, have you ever personally asked Him to forgive you? Well, no. Is that person saved? They believed what they needed to believe, but they never drank. The Pharisees knew the Word of God. They never took it in. And so when I say to you, and I'm talking to Christians here, I'm not saying drink Jesus for justification. I believe you've trusted Him. You've been sealed by His Spirit. You're His. But when Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, that is a continual offer. You need to be being filled. Don't let alcohol be in control. Let me be in control. And oh, by the way, the only way that happens is not by you reading your Bible some more. Not by you praying some more. But by you believing what He says and receiving it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 22 and following. James chapter 1 verses 22 and following. It says, don't merely listen to the Word. And look what He says next. And so deceive yourselves. You can sit in Bible study all your life. You can go to church every single day of your life. Hear the Word. But if you never drink it, it will have no effect on you. Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. A lot of good that did him. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Did you catch that? And folks, let me just share with you what I'm talking about and then we're going to tie it into the rest of our study here and send us home with it. I have had to learn how to drink of Jesus every single day and more than once a day, by the way. I have learned to recognize... When I need a drink. For those of you that have ever had a problem with alcohol, you know certain things hit you. Ken, you and I have talked about it. And your instinct is, I need a drink. I want you to learn to recognize when in the spiritual realm, you're needing a drink of Jesus. And in that moment, you don't just 
Say a prayer. You don't just read a Bible verse. You need to believe what it says and receive it by faith. Saturday night, about 3 in the morning, I'm wide awake because my mind is racing with all the stuff that's going on. And after about a half an hour of just thinking about all the stuff, I realized Becky's awake too. And I said, Becky, are you awake? She goes, yeah, I've been awake since 3. I said, why are you awake? She said, my mind's racing. All the stuff we've got to do. And God had been speaking to me. Listen to what He said to me as I was laying there. He said, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Did you hear him? He personally said, Jim, come to me right now. Then John chapter 16, verse 33 came into my head. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but in me, you'll have peace. This is something personal between you and me. Not believing a few Bible verses. You need to believe me when I say something. And so Becky and I, she'll tell you, we laid there in the bed, we held hands, and this was our prayer. Lord, there's so much that is overwhelming, so much that needs to be done. It's beyond our ability, and we're freaking out a little bit about it. But you're teaching us to drink for right now. Could you just turn our brains off so we could go to sleep? When we have enough trouble tomorrow. Tonight, we just need sleep. We're gone. The alarms woke us up. But you have to learn. That's just one drink. I need a lot of drinks. There's a lot of stuff. But you have to receive it. Go back to First Peter and look closely. Now that you have purified yourselves, verse 22 again, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. In other words, you've already got it. It's there. Drink it. And when you do, you will understand the love of God, the perfect love that casts out fear. And oh, by the way, you'll understand, I love how I put it here, if you truly believe in, and receive, in, believe in and receive God's love for you, you will have peace and knowing God's love cannot, and a knowing that God's love cannot stop and is a flowing river. Remember he said, he, well, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. You don't have to turn there. Romans 5, says, 5, 5 says this. God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit He's given us. It's a river. Rivers of living water will flow. His grace, His love for you is a continual flow. We don't always know it. We don't always feel it. We don't always believe it. But it's true. It's just pouring in your direction. Guys, ladies, you need to drink it. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get thirsty again. We say, wait a minute, Jim. Jesus told the woman at the well that if she drank of that water, she'd never thirst again. Oh, he was talking about justification salvation. You don't need any other drink. You're saved. You don't need, you'll never thirst again for salvation. But you will still thirst in this daily life. That's why he taught them in the wilderness. The manna, you get enough for today. Don't store it up for tomorrow. I'm going to teach you how to eat it a bit and drink of me all the time. And folks, the reason why we don't experience this... Well, as Peter put it here in verses eight and nine, though you have not, verse chapter one, verses eight and nine, though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving present the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Folks, you are saved. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, once saved, always saved, yes, that's true. But stop thinking that your salvation stopped there. You're still being saved and you need to receive it today just as much as you needed to receive justification at the moment you got saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just as much as when the call went out and you received Jesus the, you know, for your salvation, you had to do something and drink of Him. You couldn't just believe it, you had to do something. The Bible says that now in this part of salvation, you still got to drink. 
You've got to still receive it. The just shall live by faith. Not this faith, this faith. You've got to not only know what the Word says, it's valuable to read your Bible, it's valuable to pray, but that's only so that you'll know what it says. But there has to come a point where you believe it. That's why I can look you in the eye in the midst of the absolute chaos that is our life right now and tell you, it's going to be fine. I'm good. Here he says, you want to obey your father? Love your brothers deeply from the heart. Why from the heart? Because that's where God's already poured out that love and it's already there. Drink of it. And when you drink of it, and you really accept that He loves you, it's easy to love everybody else. And you ain't going to be worried about sharing it. Years ago, and I'll wrap up with this, years ago when I was pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic, um, I did give a sermon illustration where I had this huge, huge bag of candy and bubble gum underneath one of the pews. And no, nobody knew it. And my nephew, Corey, was sitting down there and I had a little jar of candy. And I said to Corey, I said, Corey, I'm going to give you this jar of candy. But um, even though I'm giving it to you, I still control it. And I want you to do with this candy whatever I say. And he was a little boy and his eyes were real big like, wow, look at this jar of candy. And I said, but listen closely. It's, it's, I'm giving it to you, but I control it and you have to do whatever I say with it. But I'm going to make you this promise. It will never, ever run out. He said, really? I said, watch. I said, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to get it from your seat and go around all over this whole sanctuary here, and I want you to give a piece of candy to anybody that wants one. You know how hard it is for a little kid to share their candy? Well, when I then said to the sanctuary, how many people here would like a piece of Corey's candy? Hands went up all over the place. And as he went around, he just passed it around. And his face wasn't worried. He wasn't scared. He was happy. And people were just taking his candy and his little bowl of candy disappeared. I said, Corey, are you bothered? He said, no. I said, why? He said, you said it would never run out. And little did he know, underneath the pew, I'm not kidding you folks, it was like a dog food bag size almost of candy that he got. Your heavenly Father has poured out His love in your hearts. You've got to believe that when He says it will never, He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you. You're His child. There's no condemnation. There's no fear. Oh, He's still your daddy. And He gets to call the shots. And He gets to control what goes on in your life. And He gets to control whether He does it, when He does it, or how He does it. But if you'll trust Him, and drink and truly believe what He said. It's easy to love everybody else. It's already there. His love's in your heart. And here's the last thing. How many of you would love to be used of God in ministry? You don't have to be a preacher, by the way. You don't have to be a singer. You don't have to go to seminary. Listen closely. If God has poured out His love into your hearts and you're sharing His love, who is actually loving these people? It's not you. It's Him. He's actually loving them through you. You want to be used of God in ministry? Drink first for yourself all the time, continually. Get drunk on it if you want to. Drink His love for you. It's going to continually flow in your direction. It'll never run out. And pass it on. And one day when you get to heaven, you will be rewarded for what God did through you in ministry and all you did was love people. Like Rita and her big candy box. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for that wonderful illustration of Rita bringing in that huge, bigger than we ever could describe, box of candies and Whitman's sampler. That wasn't a sampler, that was the, the, the factory. But for, Father, what a wonderful illustration of her sharing what she has been given. She didn't store it up because she thought it was going to run out. 
She had been given and she shared. Lord, may we first receive your love. And Lord, if there's anybody here that has never trusted you for their salvation and need to drink for the first time, may they not leave here tonight until they do. Oh, but Lord, may we not stop drinking at just the justification part of salvation. May we learn how to drink daily and hold you at your word and believe your word and receive it. Don't just listen to it and deceive ourselves, but receive it. And Lord, when that happens, it'll be easy for us to walk in your plan and your will for our life. We won't fret or be anxious or panic when different things happen. Or even when the wave of fear comes, we'll know we need a drink. And we turn back to you and we come to you. And you'll give us that peace and that joy. Father, it's because we've not learned to continue to drink. Begin to teach us how to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.